The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which you heard earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, hopefully that doesn't fall. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So, if I were to tell you right now that there is no doubt that pineapple belongs on pizza, or that eggnog is a very wonderful drink at this time of the year, I know that there are people that are going to very strongly disagree. And the thing is, is that you can very readily say to me that that is, whether or not pineapple belongs on pizza, is merely my opinion. And it's merely a matter of emotions and feelings. There's no way I could prove that to be a, a fact. Now, if I were to tell you that there was another shooter when JFK was assassinated, that would either be fact or fiction. There is no third option. You cannot say, well, that's just your opinion. Well, it might be an opinion. I'm not saying it isn't my opinion. I'm using his example. But it might be an opinion, but it may be a very false opinion. When you're talking about something of his historical event, it is not a matter of emotions or feelings or opinions, but it's either fact or fiction. It's either true or false. There is no third way. I say this because in today's gospel lesson, Luke, the evangelist, writes that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, huh, Tiberius Caesar, he is, a, he is, the, he is the emperor who immediately followed Caesar Augustus. We have historical information about him. In fact, because it says the 15th year, we can, with reasonable estimation, say that this is 28 to 29 A.D. is when this happened. Then he mentions Pontius Pilate. Pilate, not Pilate. He's not a Pilate's instructor. And not Pilate. When I was a little kid, I used to think he was, he was an Air, Air Force pilot. We always said, I believe in Pontius Pilate. What did he fly? I was a little kid. I didn't know... Yeah, anyways, um, and I guarantee it, a lot of other kids probably thought that too. But anyways, it has Pontius Pilate, which by the way, if you've paid attention to the news in the last couple weeks, it has been, has been reported that they discovered a ring that has Pilate's name on it. And because Pilate was a very rare name in the Mediterranean world, it is very likely it is referring to this same man. Then it mentions Herod. This is the son of Herod the Great. It mentions Philip, the brother, also a son of Herod the Great. It mentions Lysanias. All of these people are historical figures, flesh and blood. And it mentions Annas and Caiaphas, also people 
that really exist, and we have unearthed artifacts from history that belong to these people. Luke is including this to remind you, to tell people, and by the way, it says it's in the Jordan, and this is when this is all happening. So this is all being included to remind you, tell you A, when this happened, B, where it happened, and simply, it happened. It's historical. And yet, that it is not a matter of just opinion. It's, just, it's not just a matter of what I believe happened. It either happened or it didn't. There is no third option. And from Luke's standpoint, it happened. And laying those details out, everyone that read it would know exactly when he's talking about. It's just if I told you, if I told you a time when... Gerald Ford was president. Star Wars was in theaters. Uh, the Steelers were dominating the NFL. Many of you would know exactly when I am talking about. That's why he is writing that. It's actually it was 40 years, elite, no more than 40 years had passed by the time this is written. So everybody knew who, when, and where he was talking about. By the way, people also knew who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was a real historic figure. And this happened in a real historic time. And he really and historically came and told them that one would come after him. One whose sandals he is not worthy to stoop down and untie. That is who's coming. Because they thought that he was the one, he was the Christ. They thought he was the promised one. But he made it clear that, the, that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That he is the one preparing the way of the Lord. Preparing the way of the Christ. And this prophecy that he was making in history, that prophecy either would happen or would not happen. And as far as what we have in Luke, Matthew, and Mark, it happened. Jesus did come. The Christ did come. His name is Jesus. And John did indeed with the water from the Jordan River, which if you want, you could go find the Jordan River. You could go stand in it somewhere. But it would be really expensive to get there, but you could go do it. But with water, he baptized Jesus and it real in history, the heavens were open, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like, like a dove, and just in, his, and his, in history, God the Father said, Behold, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, this is actually really important to distinguish its history. Because... So much in our culture, when we ask people, what do you believe? They'll say, well, that's just your opinion. Now, again, if we're talking about pineapple on pizza, valid argument. If we are talking about Jesus of Christ, Jesus Christ being the Son of God, that, he, that Jesus is indeed the Christ, that is not a matter of opinion. 
It is not just something you believe. Your belief does not make it true. It makes your belief true. Because the thing is, if he did not, if none of this really happened, you guys could be home right now. Just hanging out. You could sleep. Well, you guys don't have, you could sleep in tomorrow anyways. But, people could, nobody has to get up on Sunday morning and go to church if it didn't happen. But if it did, there is nothing more important. Because the one who came to that river, he was the one who would grow up. Well, actually, he was already growing up at this time. He's 30 years old. He is the one who would go around preaching and teaching, preaching parables. He would perform incredible miracles, making the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to speak. He would even raise the dead. But in the end, he was betrayed, rejected. He was crucified. He, was, he died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven on a hill outside of Jerusalem. In history, this all actually happened. But before he, went to he before he ascended into heaven, he gave a promise that he would return. He gave a promise that, and then he also gave a command that repentance and the forgiveness of sins was to be preached in his name. And by the way, we are supposed to preach it and hear it. Because here's the thing. I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Now some of you, this is a lot easier than others. But think back to when you were a kid. If your parents were to go say, we're going to go out of town, they told you they're leaving town, and if they told you exactly when they were coming back, let's say you knew exactly, they left on Friday, you knew for certain they're coming back at 10 o'clock on Sunday, I'm guessing many of, some of you would take the risk and throw a party. Probably. Now, on the flip side, they're leaving, they're leaving, the ha they're leaving, they're going to leave town, but they don't tell you when you're com they're coming back. They could be coming back in two hours, they could be coming back that night, they could be coming back a whole week later. How many of you are going to risk throwing that party? Not having a clue when they're coming back. Now, that would be pretty bad parenting if they did that. Uh, or who knows, maybe that would be a great test for parents to pull on their kids to see what they do. But, <laughs> that is, when Christ ascended into heaven, he gave the promise that he was going to return. But he didn't say when. He didn't say, he didn't say when it's going to happen, just that it's going to happen. And the reason why we should take those words to the bank is because way back in Genesis 3, the promise was given that he was going to come the first time. He didn't tell them when he was coming. He just simply said that a Christ was going to come, one who would crush the serpent's head. Didn't say when, just that it would happen. He didn't even say where it was going to happen. 
Well, eventually they said where, but not immediately. They didn't know where. But it happened. When John the Baptist appeared, notice what the crowds immediately did. They're saying, what should we do? See, they were communicating repentance. They realized that Christ was coming near. And they began to panic. And they began to wonder, what do I need to do to be ready? See, the thing is, is we, Christ, is, is nearer every single day. He will come and claim, we will be claimed, we, Christ will return for the ju final judgment or for each one of us at a moment that none of us knows. I don't know about you, but I have never heard of anyone scheduling their own funeral with the funeral home. I'm pretty certain that that is, doesn't happen. If that happens, probably they need to be watched. But none of us predict it. None of us know when it's going to happen. But yet we act as if we we're going to live forever. Because if we took to truth that Christ, what happened in history, really happened, what would it do if we realized that that very same Christ will come for us at any moment in an hour that we don't know? We know that children, we know that people die young. We know that people die old. We know people who are begging to go. They're in their nine, late 90s and they're struggling. They wanted so badly for God to come and take them, but it did not happen when they wanted. But we also know people that died very young, with so much future ahead. It is the harsh reminder, the harsh lesson that Christ is always near. And so we should be like that crowd and saying, what are we to do? And John gives us a message, the same message, bearing a fruit of repentance. And note the word is fruit. Meaning it's something that produces within us. That flows forth from faith. See that's what Advent is all. See the whole purpose of Advent. Advent means coming. There's a reason why we don't jettison it. for this. We don't just jump right into Christmas. The culture wants to jump right into Christmas. But we don't. We celebrate Advent because the reality is, is we cannot jump straight to the end of the book. Well, kind, well it's actually the beginning, kind of the end of the book. Christmas, yes, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but it's also the anticipation of his return. We need Advent because we need to be reminded regularly that we need to get the house in ready. And I say the house, I mean our bodies, ourselves, ready, because he is going to return. 
just as he did the first time, they knew that they had to get their hearts ready. We too need to be reminded that we need to get our hearts ready because this world is temporary. It will, we will come to an end, but on a larger scale, the world is going to come to an end. And Christ will return. And will he find us ready? Will he find us ready, prepared? Will he find us acting like our faith is just a matter of opinion? That it's just about how I feel? Well, you may feel that you may not believe, but that's just your opinion. You can live the way you want. Or will he find us living and talking as if our faith is historical and real? That it, nothing matters outside of it. Nothing matters more than it. It is what gives our entire life meaning. Without it, our life is meaningless. When we put it on the back burner and make it the small part of our life, no wonder our lives end up in shambles and chaotic. Because we left the real and true God on the sideline. And by the way, I'm preaching to myself too. Just so you know, when a pastor preaches, he's not just saying, you guys should be so much like me because I'm so awesome. No. I am as much guilty of this. I'm as much guilty as acting like it is. In my mind, I know it's historical. I know it's real. But the sinful nature in me as well will go into, oh, it's just another aspect of my life. It's just like, you know, it's in this part, compartment of my life. Here's the compartment that's my family. Here's the compartment of my hobbies. When in reality, he's supposed to be a part of all of it. He is the Lord and master of all of it. And so God, so Jesus promised before he ascended into heaven, because he knows that we fail. He knows that we are poor, miserable sinners. He told us how he comes to us today. He tells us not just about how he will come, but how he comes to us now. He comes to us in his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. The word is Christ, and when you hear the word spoken to you, when you read it in your scriptures, Christ comes to you. When you were baptized, Christ came to you. It says that you were clothed with Christ in your baptism. In your baptism, it's not a one-day event. You remember it every day of your life and say, I am baptized. Say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Reminding that you are a baptized child of God. You are clothed in Christ. Your sins are washed away. You have received a new identity. And again, he gives you a gift. Which, by the way, kind of a cool thing some churches do. There are some churches that on Christmas Day, they'll have a, they'll have a, a manger like this. Because what's the purpose of a manger? 
feeding trough, right? It's where animals feed. What a beautiful imagery. Because the word in, the word for where Jesus is, it's called upper, the upper room. That's the exact same room, exact same word. Cataluma means upper room or guest room. There's only one other time that word shows up in the entire, in the entire gospel of Luke. Can you guess where? The Last Supper. And it's kind of interesting. There's no room in the Cataluma, in the upper room. And so they laid him in a manger, which is designed to feed animals. Yet later, he would be in the Cataluma, where he would give his very own body in the bread, his very own blood in the wine for the forgiveness of sins. Because you see, and so some churches will actually put the communion elements in a manger to remind you that the one who truly, historically, was born of the Virgin Mary, who truly, historically, showed up at the Jordan River, the one who truly, historically, instituted the Lord's Supper, is also in the bread and the wine given to you for the forgiveness of sins. That is real. See, that is how he makes you ready. It's not really about you making yourselves ready. It's about him making you ready for his return. He gives you his word. He gives you his sacrament. By it, he makes you ready for Christ's will in history, in a future history, return to judge the living and the dead. And what about his kingdom? It will have no end. Till that day comes, to him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we continue with Create in Me a Clean Heart.